So this is Veterans Day weekend. I made a sermon called Veteran Christianity today. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, if you want to turn there in your Bible. As you're doing that, I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of history lesson about me. In 1988, I was at the Military Entrance Processing Command in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to get my physical and fill out paperwork to enlist in the U.S. Army. There are many reasons why I had chosen this route in life. Um, among them was because I thought I had to prove something to myself, that I could handle being a soldier. It was kind of a rite of passage for Oscar men or Anderson men on my, on my um, mother's side that we go into the service. And I have to prove to myself that I can handle being a soldier. So in large part, I was kind of in it for me. And what the Army could um, offer some short, skinny kid from Kenosha. Little did I know how much being a soldier would change me, how much it would mature me, and how much it affects me even to this day. I learned lessons and virtues like discipline, honor, courage, and character. Life lessons like teamwork, leadership, sacrifice, and obedience. Because I grew up in a home where very little of those virtues existed. Many of you who grew up in rural areas here had these values placed in you at an early age. It was part of the air you breathed. But in the city, that's not so much the case. The Army broke through all that, and they laid a different foundation in me than the one that I had grown up with. And anyone who is a veteran who is even has a slight bit of self-awareness would agree with me at this point that you are a better person because you are able to serve in our country's military. Jesus has, a veteran, has an encounter with a veteran centurion here in Matthew chapter 8 that I want to look into this morning. In the first century, a centurion was a veteran Roman military officer who was placed in charge of anywhere between one to 200 men. In today's military, that rank would be somewhat analogous to a captain, or if you were in the Navy, it would be a first lieutenant or even a lieutenant commander. And throughout this man's long military career, he had learned some very important lessons. And I want to see if you can begin to spot some of them as we read the scripture this morning that tells us of this encounter. And it's going to be in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one go, and he goes, and this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feet of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And Father God, I just ask, Lord, as we read your word, as we discuss 
what it means and use modern ways of, of explaining it and illustrating it. I ask, Father, that you can help us to see what was in the centurion that amazed you. And that we could be a people that would learn to live lives that just amaze you. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just do this as we study your word this morning. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So yesterday was Veterans Day, and this was Veterans Day weekend. Being a veteran has taught me a number of things that are beneficial to my walk with God. And I listed a few in the introduction there. But I want to take a few of these attributes that people who have served in the military learn and really emphasize how they can help us with our relationship with God and help us fulfill the mission that he has given to all of us to spread the kingdom of God throughout our area and our world. And one of the first things the military teaches you is respect for authority. It's one of the first things they really hammer into you. It's been said that the difference between a veteran and everyone else is this. A veteran at some point in their lives wrote a blank check to their nation and its citizens that says, I will give everything up into and including my life to defend you and the country. And most veterans remember where they were and how they felt as they raised their white hands and they said the following words. I, John Oscar, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. That's the oath of enlistment for United States service. And I remember the weight of what I had just promised falling upon me. It was July 17, 1988. I was 18 years, 8 months, and 14 days old, and I had just sworn to give my life to defend my country. And if you summarize the oath of enlistment, it's easy. Defend the Constitution and obey lawful orders. In other words, submit yourself to the authority that is about to be placed over you. If only the rest of our nation really believed the words our military and our veterans had sworn their lives to obey. Because in my opinion, the thing that cripples the American version of Christianity is this American idea of being a rebel. Some of you are old enough to remember the iconic picture of James Dean on a motorcycle, cigarette hanging out of his lip, his leather jacket with a collar flipped up, and he was considered the quintessential rebel against the man. People more my age, we sang up singing Billy Idol's Rebel Yell and wanting to throw off what seemed to be the oppressive morality of our parents and grandparents and live life the way we wanted to live. Most recently, hip-hop, rap, and even some country music continues to support the idea of rebelling against all authority in our life. Artists like Eminem call for open rebellion against our government and its leaders, while movements like Antifa do violence in the name of progress. So what is the ideal American? What does a quintessential American look like? If you talk to somebody from overseas, they consider the quintessential American, and I kid you not, the Marlboro Man. To them, that's the quintessential American. A cowboy sitting on his horse or driving his pickup truck with a big cowboy hat, somebody who is self-reliant and wanting to answer to nobody. 
And that's somewhat accurate, isn't it? Because we started our country with rebellion, rebellion against the King of England. Much of the southern half of our nation still holds on to the title of being a rebel from the Civil War. We celebrate those who go against the grain in our culture. And sometimes standing against what was wrong is a good thing. The Civil Rights Movement is an excellent example. But often that initial stand against the wrong, it morphs itself into a general resistance against any authority in our lives. And we see that in our nation today. In America, we celebrate the idea of democracy as a political system. In my opinion, sometimes that hinders our walk with God because God's kingdom is not a democracy. I hate to tell you this, if you think you get a vote in heaven, you're going to be very surprised. It's a kingdom. And by definition, a kingdom is ruled by a king. A king, by definition, is a dictator. Fortunately for us, God is a benevolent dictator, but he is a dictator. God speaks, and we say, yes, Lord, and amen. If it were only that easy in the church or even our lives, I mean, consider with me for a moment. Just close your eyes for a second and think. Every single problem in our world or in our nation, or in our lives, comes back to a question of the authority. It's the answer to the question, who is in charge around here? Think back in your own life for a moment. Pick a situation that caused you pain, whether it be spiritual, emotional, physical, or financial pain. And now ask yourself this question. Was it because you or someone else failed to acknowledge the authority of God or his word in your life. Because I can't think of a single instance like that in my own life where that isn't true, or even in human history. Either me or someone else around me failed to recognize the authority and sovereignty of God and it caused major problems to happen. So I ask you, who is in charge? Who is an authority over your life? You see, in the military, for a veteran, it was easy. It, had, it was whoever had more stripes on their sleeves, more silver on their collar, or more political power. These people are the ones in charge. They give a lawful order, snap your heels together, salute, and obey. For the rest of society, though, it becomes a question of authority. It's a bit more complicated, isn't it? Here's a couple questions to, attest, to test our heart about the question of authority in our lives. What's the number one thing that people usually complain about in their jobs? What do we think it is? The boss. The boss. People complain about the boss. What's the number one thing that people complain about in the government? Well, the people you voted for. <laughs> right? What's the number one thing that kids, particularly teenagers, complain about? Their parents. <laughs> James, did you complain about your parent once in a while? He's not going to admit it. I'm not going to. <laughs> the number one complaint in all of life, it all boils down to authority and how much we hate authority in our lives. If we're honest, there's a little bit of rebel in each one of us, and some more than others. But God's way is different. He isn't just an egomaniac that insists on having his desire to see us follow him and his ways. He wants us to follow him and his ways because he wants us safe. He wants us happy. He wants us filled with joy and secure. Not because he just insists on having his way all the time. 
Most military people know and have read Psalm 91. In fact, if you ever go overseas, the chaplains give you a copy when you're getting ready to deploy. And Psalm 91 contains several promises for people who come under the authority of God. These are some of the promises, some of the things that, that I was getting ready to deploy. I um, was really holding on to even before I got saved. One of them, you will dwell in the shelter of the Most High. That's an incredible promise. He will cover you, God. God will cover you with his feathers. Using the metaphor of a mother bird sheltering her young hatchlings from the, the wind and the, and the sun and, and things that could harm them. And one of my favorite parts of this psalm says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And these promises are near and dear to those um, going overseas in the active war zones, but they come with a little bit of a catch. You have to choose to rest under the shadow of the Almighty. You have to choose to submit to his authority. You have to choose to follow what he says is right and true. And part of learning to respect that authority lies in our ability to follow the second thing that veterans have to learn, which is to listen. It's a cool December morning in Columbia, South Carolina. A group of kids between 17 and 19 years old get into a bus at the airport that will take them to the reception station at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. For the last few hours, these kids have been boisterous. They've been talking about high school sports and, and what they did in high school. Some of them were talking about um, some of the, the things that they belonged to. And so a couple of the kids even belonged to violent gangs. And they were saying, man, I don't know what the Army has, but it can't be as bad as the area where I grew up. And some of the guys were showing pictures of their girls back home that they were going to marry someday. And the volume of the loud talking continued until we got to the main gate of the base. Right there, the MP held up his hand and stopped the bus, crawled up, got onto the bus, and very loudly and very profanely told us to shut up. He said, you are now soldiers on a United States Army reservation, and you will act accordingly. I don't want to hear another bleeping sound come out of your mouth. And he got back off the bus and waved us through. And the bus pulled into the reception station. We saw a large um, line of men and a couple of women standing here, there in Smokey the Brown hats, called the Brown Round, or Smokey the Bear hats. They were the drill sergeants. Before the bus even came to a stop, they ran onto the buses, jumping in the front door and the back door at the same time, yelling and screaming commands at us. Go this way. Go that way. I said, get off the bus. No, I told you to get your gear. I told you to do this. And it's just, it's just this huge chaos for about 10 minutes until they finally got us all off the bus and were in a very sloppy formation. And they told us to go, at ease, be quiet. And just then, a medium-sized African-American man came out of the building in his dress uniform. His face was one big scar. Half of it was burned on one side, and the other side had, had several large scars. Later, we learned it was from shrapnel and burns from his time in Vietnam. His chest just filled with medals, included the coveted CIB, 
It's a badge my grandfather had, the Combat Infantryman Badge, meaning they had to have at least four to six months in a time of combat. The rank stripes on his sleeve showed that he was a command sergeant major. Above the rank was a special forces and a ranger tab. On his right arm, he had eight stripes, indicating four years of direct combat experience. On his left arm, he had nine stripes, indicating 27 years of service in the military. And he stopped in front of us and he walked slowly back and forth, looking all of us in the eye and with a big booming voice, he said, congratulations on becoming recruit privates in the United States Army. The drill sergeants you see in front of you will turn you into soldiers if you let them. But all you have to do is listen to what they say and 14 weeks from now, you will walk across that field behind you and become full-fledged United States Army soldiers. But first, you have to get through basic training, which begins right now. A lot of the next few weeks were a blur, but one thing I remember was hours upon hours upon hours of marching, in formation, learning how to stand at attention, learning how to stand at parade rest, Left face, right face, about face. How to march in formation, column left, column right, counter column. Then we graduated to be able to carry a dummy rifle while we were marching. Then we had to learn to sling arms, left shoulder, right shoulder, port, present arms. Commands repeatedly shouted at us as we learned one of the most basic and important lessons about soldiering. How to listen and how to obey what we were told. Any one of us who are parents are thinking, how do I sign my kids up to learn those two lessons? Ironically, God is in, he in heaven is probably thinking the same thing right now. Maybe they all need the military. The same lessons that Christians today struggle with are the same lessons a veteran had to learn in the military. If you went left when they said go right, you disrupt the other 49 guys trying to get it right, and maybe your whole platoon fell on their faces for some upper body conditioning called push-ups. In fact, I think I did so many push-ups in basic training, South Carolina is probably a foot closer to Georgia, so I was pushing on the ground so much. And I remember during those long hours of marching, wondering why we were spending so much time on this stuff. We just got over and over 12 to 14 hours a day of doing nothing but marching. I mean, I'm thinking, I joined the Army to blow stuff up and shoot guns, and all I'm doing is walking around in a circle. And at the end of the basic training, the drill instructors become slightly more human and slightly more approachable. And they invite you in the last couple of days to ask any questions about your training. And my first question is, Drill Sergeant Monk, why did we spend four weeks learning how to march and go through the manual of arms? Why is that so important? It seemed like a huge waste of time and has no bearing on how we are to fight. Well, Drill Sergeant Munch said, well, Private Oscar, give me 20 push-ups and I'll tell you. And no, I'm not going to demonstrate because I don't know if anybody here knows CPR. <laughs> so, Drill Sergeant Monk explained that we had to learn to listen and obey. No matter how much stress we were under, no matter how much they were shouting in our ears, no matter how noisy it was around us, how tired we were, how hot we were, how cold we were, we needed to be ready to change direction and obey an order at a moment's notice. Because those moments are the difference in a soldier's life between life and death. How does that apply to you and me? My friends, we need to learn to heed 
the voice of God. Because sometimes it's a difference between life and death for us or the people that we love. It's a mistake that we make in our walk with God and how we approach our prayer life. Prayer isn't so much about giving God a list of things that he needs to do for you. It's about listening. Prayer is really about listening. Prayer isn't to get God to change. Prayer is allowing God to change you. And after we learn to hear our Father, we need to choose the last point that veterans understand more than most, and that is to obey, even when we don't want to. Back to Jesus and the centurion that we read about in the beginning of the message. The centurion asked Jesus for a miracle. Jesus is willing to oblige. He comes and he offers, I will come to your house and I will lay hands on your servant and heal him. Centurion said, no, that is not necessary. All you have to do is command it and he will be healed. To paraphrase the centurion's answer a little bit, he goes, look, I'm a man under authority, been in the military my entire life. I have men under my authority. I give an order, somebody snaps to attention, salutes and barks, yes, sir, and carries out my order without hesitation. How much more so with you, Jesus? You're the son of God. All you should have to do is give an order out into the spiritual realm and that illness will be gone. And it says that Jesus was amazed. You know you've done something special when God himself says he's amazed at you. He's amazed at the faith of this man because he understands authority more than all these Pharisees standing around him with PhDs in theology that are constantly badgering him. This soldier understands authority better than they do. And can I share my heart with you for, for our church for a moment? I want to be a people that amaze God. I want to be a person that amazes God with my life and my faith. And I thank God that I'm a veteran. I, th I thank God that he had me serve in my country's military so I could learn respect for authority, how to listen, how to obey orders, even when I don't want to obey at some points. But I want to use that experience and everything in my life to amaze God. I want, I want God to be able to brag on all of us just like he did Job. Do you can do you can you see that guy? He's amazing. I can't believe how much that person's grown. That's how I want God to look at us. I want all of us to become a people a people that amaze Jesus. Because what higher calling can any of us aspire to in life? Amen. Let's all stand. I want to take a moment this morning as, as Tammy and Jennifer lead us in a final song to just ask God for our own lives. Do I know what it means to listen? Do I know what it means to be under your authority, Lord? And do I know what it means to be obedient to you no matter what the cost? The Bible says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it works, but the Bible says it's there. I wonder if those people are amazed at how we live for God. Because I want them to be. And I would pray 
that you would want them to be.